Welcome to Podcast Q with Matt Henney. That is me, and I'm recording this in my home at East Point with my three pets who are doing their very best to be my personal therapy dogs during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm here with George Estevez, a journalist and anchor with WSB-TV. Hi, George. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I am good. I'm good. Thanks for joining me today. George joined WSB-TV in January after nearly 20 years in broadcast news in Orlando and Miami, and then Orlando again, and we'll get into that. He anchors the station's 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. newscasts, and when he's not on the air, he's on Instagram posting his way all around Atlanta. George is the first openly gay primetime anchor at WSB and its second Latino anchor in the station's 72-year history, which is quite a statement given WSB's dominance in the Atlanta market. But even after more than two decades in broadcasting, George was nervous when he made his WSB debut in January. I hear there were meat sweats and a fan underneath the anchor desk. Is that right, George? That is absolutely correct. And we can talk about, I always have a fan, at least one fan with me, a literal fan. (laughs) So talk about how you landed in Atlanta because you were in Florida for nearly 20 years. I was in Florida for nearly 20 years, and let me tell you something. It was a great place, a great state where sun and heat dominated the year, and uh, and it was great. I worked for one of our sister properties, WFTV in Orlando, the ABC station. It was great. And then, you know, five years later, I'm like, I want something new. And then I went to Miami, and I worked for the CBS station down there. And, and then I'm like, you know what? I miss Orlando. So six years after that, I went back to Orlando. And uh, I've been there until I got here in January, like you said, the, uh, just a few weeks shy of the beginning of when you would need three therapy dogs to get you through a coronavirus pandemic. And so the the hiring process to get you from Orlando to Atlanta was something like a year long? Yeah, you know, um, you, you audition, you you try out, you, you get focus grouped and all sorts of things and all that and bosses weigh in and everyone has an opinion. So it took a couple of rounds of me coming back to Atlanta to do more tests uh, by myself with the female anchors and then they had to figure out, you know, where I belonged, where I matched. And it, it took a while. <laughs> so it took, you are correct, it took practically a year from the first call. You know, you get that first call. That's like, hey, would you like to come to Atlanta and work for WSB? I'm like, let's see, one of the most dominant stations in the country? Yeah, I think that would be great. I'll, I'll be happy to work weekends or wherever you want me. That's totally fine. <laughs> and then it happened. Was it tough to leave Orlando and, and Florida, where you have, where you were, where you lived for so long? And here's the thing, right? Everyone who makes career moves, people listening right now are thinking, "I made a career move once, or I moved for my husband or my wife, or I moved because my mom was getting older, or, or my dad." So you make these moves, and at the moment, you just, you know, take a shot in the dark, and you, you see, you're like, "I have no choice. I have to do this," right? And I thought, you know, I'm in my 40s. When am I going to get to move to a great city, work for a great station? You know, my husband was all on board and we sat and we're like, let's do it. You know, we're going to fly more often down to Miami to see our moms. We're just going to figure it out. And it was it was it was a little, you know, a little bit of a conversation, but we did it. <laughs> and we when did you it. And, when, when you and your husband, Enrique, when you moved to Atlanta, I think you moved to Midtown first uh, near Piedmont Park. Yeah, we wanted to, you know, we had a little house in Orlando and it was right by the station, like three miles. And, the, you know, the house, the grass, the work, always painting something, fixing something. So we're like, you know what, let's just take a break. We have a 12 year old Shih Tzu. Let's just... You know, live in an apartment. He's fine. We'll live the midtown life. We'll go and travel to the suburbs and travel to, you know, tourist spots. But we want to have the home base be midtown. And then the pandemic hit 
and living in a building is, you know, it's, it's a little, it's challenging, right? And so many people are, are doing it and so many people are, are hitting the elevator button with their elbows and, and it's what it is. And we just kind of, you know, we were going to get, we were committed to staying in Atlanta. We wanted to get a little house here. So we did it and I moved, you know, three months into a pandemic into, into, a, into a little house and still near the station. Um, and I still, you know, I've started to go out again and visit the suburbs and visit different counties and, and just see what George is all about. Okay. Well, and so you started with WSB in January. And since, let's see, there's been a pandemic, mm-hmm. ongoing racial justice rallies and demonstrations. Cor- correct. The death of John Lewis. It, you yes. Know, in other words, it's been a pretty chaotic time for a journalist. What's it, what's it been like for you? You know what? It's been, it's been such a trying time for so many families and so many people, whether you're older or younger, single or married. So hard. People who are out of work, people who are dealing with, with educating their children, people with special needs children who need to go in the classroom. There's so many issues out there and it's a gift to be able to help people navigate through that with such a powerhouse station in such a great state, in a great metropolitan area as well as the suburbs. So it's been it's been one thing after another, right? And I think of it this way, you and I as, as readers, writers, truth tellers, storytellers, whatever you want to call us, journalists, the big J, you know, it is our responsibility. Yeah, it's our responsibility to do this to the best of our ability. And it's a gift to be able to have 12 hour days of work. And it's a gift to be able to, you know, go into work on a weekend because you have to tell people what's going to be maybe happening with in the streets of, of our towns and our cities. And and it's it's the response has been really, really good from people. You know, the the social media landscape is pretty horrible. And some people say really mean things and hide behind, you know, faceless accounts. And but there are some people who say good things and who are appreciative of the work that everyone does. Essential workers, journalists, police officers, people who are doing their best to put out fires and teachers who are figuring out what their new normal is and people doing their best, regular people doing their best. That's what we're doing. When we talked before the before the recording of, of the uh, podcast, you were saying that you were on air. Wait, I thought you that. said that was off the record. Wait, wait, what, what are you, you going to get into here, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, very work oriented. Uh, you were saying you were on the air when uh, the uh, protests and the violence broke out in Atlanta on that first weekend. Uh, yeah. What was what was that like? You know, we were on the air, and it was during the the regular news. You know, um, I got on at five o'clock, and. You know, we took this live picture and that live reporter and we were seeing things and we were staying on Nicole Carr or staying on Justin Gray or staying on Tony Thomas or staying on whoever was working. I just threw out some names and we were like, okay, this is not a regular news day. Things are happening. So you just stay on it and then you blow out the commercial breaks and you're like, okay, we're we're officially in what's called wall to wall coverage, continuous coverage with our team. And we started assembling people and I never got off the anchor desk till two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then you know, working with Justin Farmer, working with Jovita Moore, you know, we were all there, uh, you know, uh, Wendy Corona, everyone, we were all there behind the desks, our own desks, because we were in four separate studios. And we just stayed on and, and to, to cover something like that in a city I was working very hard to get to know uh, and but still needed to, you know, still have a lot to learn. And it was just challenging uh, and yet so emotionally heavy to watch what was happening. It was an interesting, it was an interesting night and the following day it was more and then Sunday. And it was just, you know, it's what the city went through and cities are still going through right. and figuring out how we get past this 
and how we, you know, make things matter and how we make things clearer for generations to come. You know, it's it's a very sensitive subject that that it's a gift to be able to present every day in the most neutral, unbiased way I can. And how has the pandemic impacted your work? Was there a time you worked from home? How has it changed the broadcasts and what you do? Interesting story because we went immediately. WSB did an amazing job at separating us and emptying out the big building in Midtown, sending everyone home. Editors were edited from home with software and and, and connections and producers were right. And, and there, there's an open conference call all day and, and you have 17 Zoom meetings or Microsoft Team meetings or Skype meetings or whatever virtual platform you use. And you just make it happen. So uh, they emptied out the building so the anchors and directors could stay in the building just to give normalcy to people at home. Meaning, you know, you still have the WSB brand, you still have the, the power that we do in the studios that we have it in. They separated us out, so I have my own little space in my own little room. And Jovita has her space, and Justin Farmer has a space, and Wendy Corona has a space, and the weekend people, like, we all kind of rotate. But there was a time, Matt, that I came close to some potential COVID cases. So there was a moment that we were literally waiting to see if a person or two in in my life were, was positive, right? And if they were positive, then I had to get tested and then I had to quarantine. We're figuring out, do we need to send? If, if, I, if I survive and if I do okay, if I'm asymptomatic or if I have light symptoms that I can keep working and, and not have to get hospitalized. <laughs> Was that going to anchor from home? You know, an older house. I have a little basement. So we were like, let's just put me in a basement. And then my husband was like, he works from home. So he's like, wait, so can I not walk around because the wood floors creak and the dog with his nails? And like, you know, what if the, the mail carrier comes and the dog barks? Like, <laughs> like what's going to happen? You know, so these silly things that you preoccupy yourself with. But that didn't happen. They were negative. So I, I kept coming to the building. And you're one of just a handful of people that are in, in the building, which is a pretty massive structure there in Midtown. W- yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they stopped. Um, we were phasing in more people. And then, you know, the spike happened after the holidays and after Memorial Day. So we literally are at the capacity we were at. And there's 10 of us, 12 of us. Uh, and everyone's working from home, which is which is which is just so interesting that this time, you know, 20 years ago, it, it would have been a completely different experience. As far as people who are still fortunate enough to keep their jobs, to be able to do that. And yet so many people have to go into work and, and, and are essential workers. And we're so grateful that they're still, you know, dredging on and, and still making it work with their kids in school and husbands and wives and taking turns and taking alternate shifts. So someone can be, be in charge of school. It's you know, I don't have kids and I, my hat's off to, to parents out there, you know, who, who are making it happen. Not just dog parents, because that's a challenge, too. You have three, huh? <laughs> I have what three. Are their, what, are, what, are their, what are their names? Let's ask you a question. <laughs> no, that's fine. We have a <laughs> uh, we have a Gabby, who's 12, year old, 12 years old, Izzy, who's nine, and uh, Coco, who is uh, three. So, And she Coco. is she's a little cockapoo, and she runs the place. So. <laughs> that's it. She's in charge. And hopefully you that. won't hear them, but every time I do recordings or broadcasts, I kick them out of my office, and they, oh. they take that as a signal to then go crazy in the rest of the house so you i can hear them running doing laps in the hallway behind my office <laughs> right they're, they're breaking things and eating things as we speak what is uh, i don't know if there is a normal day right now for you but what is your sort of normal day like you because you're on the air at 5 and 11 uh, so what kind of walk walk us through what uh, what a day is like for you you know the normal days get up uh you know i get up around nine something 10 um because i go to bed at like two so um i do that and then i kind of just start absorbing the day's news you know watch programs i've recorded read publications uh kind of you know over coffee 
And, uh, and then I just, then there's typically a morning call that kind of, you know, that I hop on to early to see what's happening in the day. And then another call at two o'clock, then another call at two thirty. then there's a call, you know, let's discuss this. Let's discuss that. You know, you, you pre-tape stuff, you help, you know, write the shows, you do zoom interviews or, you know, virtual platform interviews. Sometimes they're like, Hey, we got the department of labor. He's available at noon. I'm like, okay, I'll be right in. So, you know, you, your day that day started at noon and, and that's fine. That's, that's okay. You know, but typically two o'clock is the first kind of like, all right, what's happening at four, five and six. And we have meetings and talk about it and stuff. And the reporters are assigned their stories and, you know, they uncover stories throughout the day and things get, things change and adapt up until it airs, you know? And then after that, then at, uh, that I do, we have started this national newscast called National News Tonight. And it is a, a platform that we do that we send out to our Cox Media Group station. So we take that at 7.15. So I have five and a 7.15 newscast. And then I usually bring my dinner. I've been, I bought a cooler and bring a cooler to work and I have my dinner and my lunch and my snacks. It's funny, I have my drawer is just full of like snacks. Because, yeah, we took out the vending uh, machines at our station because of, you know, because they took out the ice. They took out the, the snack machines that you could purchase, like chips or uh, a Milky Way bar or whatever, you know, because they don't want people touching stuff. Right. So so now it's like my entire two drawers, of my desk is like junk food. And I try to slip in the occasional protein bar. So I have dinner and then I then I do a 10 o'clock. We do a 10 o'clock newscast on OTT, our streaming service, WSB Now. Um, and then we have the 11 o'clock news and at 8.30 we meet to discuss last minute things with those newscasts. And then at 11.35 when we're done, we have a post meeting and we talk about what went wrong or what we could have done better. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's all day, which is, which is, it's, it's a gift. Again, I keep saying it like that, but it, it truly is. You essentially just start your day and you're broadcasting through and you have these other shows between your two live uh, newscasts for WSB. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on and, and there's always something to talk about, as you said, right? So I did not hear in there anything about a trip to the gym. So what, what, you know, <laughs> come on as a gay man, I know there's gotta be some fitness habits in there somewhere. Listen, I'm going to tell you something that I am. I'm just going to say out loud for the first time in public. I think I've worked out 10 times in the past six months. <laughs> um, I'm a runner. I love to run. By well, hold on. Let me. I'm not a runner. I just happen to put one foot in front of the other, and I don't fall. So, I like to run around. It gets my. I'm a super high energy person. So my husband's like, "Hey, don't you have to go for a run now and burn some of that off?" <laughs> so in Orlando, when I was in Florida, I ran. You know, like six miles, three, four times a week. And I loved it. And I got down and I got really trim and I got really lean. And and then I was in this I was in the zone. I love working out outside, like 90 degree weather in the middle of the day. It's like I love to go outside and just sweat. And I had, you know, some boot camp situations. And then I came here and I'm like, I'll find it. I started signing up to stuff and then the pandemic hit. So I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna gain five pounds this month. That's fine. You know, we're figuring it out. And of course we're being flipped. This is, you know, when you ask me the question, there are much more important things than gaining five pounds during this time. But I was like, okay, so that's gonna happen. And the second, third month came around, I'm like, well, there's another five more pounds. And I'm like, okay, so now we're up to 10. And then, so like, I'm like, and then it's cold. So I can't exercise outside because I have asthma. And then the gyms are closed. So I'm like, all right. So my hands are up. I try to do what I can. I try to, you know, intermittent fast. I try to have chicken. But, you know, the French fries are there. You know, I yeah. just got to do it. So I'm, I tried to get back into it. So I'm trying. 
And there's added pressure for you because, you know, you're on TV like 12 times a day. So, <laughs> well, look, hey, you know what? We, we come in all shapes and sizes. So, you know, um, uh, it's at one point it was so fun to to be involved with working out and having something. I was down to like 10 percent body fat and it was just it was so fun. And then now not working out is equally as fun. <laughs> so it's, it's totally perfect. So, yes, that's the deal. Yeah, no, I, I've tried to get back into it because it, it, I realized how much good it does me for my sort of my mental health during this pandemic. So Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask your audience to please message me any ideas, any outdoor workouts, any places that they feel comfortable going to, any gyms that they feel comfortable attending that are doing all the right things. I'm looking for any help. So someone can please. I, I like spinning, by the way. I'm obsessed with spinning, but I don't. I haven't gone back yet. So I'm looking for a, a used spin bike. If anyone has one of those, I can buy. <laughs> did you Did you give up running? Because Atlanta has hills. Orlando doesn't have hills. Can we just talk about that for a second? <laughs> what the crap with you people in your hills? You can't go three blocks without a hill. That's right. And I'm like, and I got the running thing down. Flat Florida. I can run seven, eight miles if I really wanted to. My asthma's fine. Here I run a block and I'm like, I can't breathe. So I have to find a flat area as I go to Piedmont Park. I just run around the track, which is boring, but I do it. It's a beautiful place though. So I'm trying to figure out like, where can I run for three or four miles? I do the belt line that has like inclines. I feel like I'm always running out of three incline or four incline. So it's, that's hard too. So again, I'm asking your viewers for help, for your listeners and readers for help. I say viewers out of habit. <laughs> well, and so since we've been talking about fitness and health, um, I understand there was uh, an experience with Weight Watchers at some point in your in your past. <laughs> you what do good. Re- you do good research. Um, yes, my coworker and I at the time in Orlando, Martha Sagowski. You know, when you have a best girlfriend, right? As 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 a gay guy, we have a thousand of them. We're so fortunate to have girlfriends whose husbands or boyfriends are super grateful we're in their lives because we, you know, we handle 20% of the things that the their husbands can't handle or don't want to. And then so the, my girl, she's, you know, we bonded, we were anchored together in Orlando and all that. Uh, and then she's, she's, she pulled me up, she said, hey, I have a great idea for all of us to, for us to do and post on social, I have a whole campaign. Let's go to Weight Watchers. I'm like, because we talked about, I need to lose five pounds. She's like, let's do Weight Watchers. So she convinced me after like a month because she did it after her pregnancies and for her weddings. And like, she's, she, she's done it a couple times. So then later, Matt, I secretly found out that she was having an intervention because I was like 25 pounds overweight or 20 pounds overweight. So that was her way of doing it with me. And she also wanted to drop 20 pounds, but doing it more for me and kind of getting me psyched. And I found this out later. I was like, look at you being all sly. But I went and those ladies and gentlemen in those meetings, whichever company you choose, whichever thing you, you know, I'm not a spokesperson by any means, whatever you decide to do, you know, there's so many Nutrisystem, there's so many things out there for men, for women, but I did do that, I chose that. And I enjoyed it and it was about discipline and it was about turkey and not beef and it was about, carrot sticks and not crackers and it was about you know like making smart choices and I think that we need to do our best during these times to make smart choices right and so I did I lost 30 pounds wow and like uh, the first few months I got to 30 pounds and then that's when the health kick started and that's when I you know I dropped all sorts of weight and all sorts of muscle I mean fat and gain muscle and 
and it was it was fun you know it was fun to do and i was so fortunate to be able to do it i think it was like 12 bucks a month at one point or something like that you know they have these crazy deals so you're just like okay that was before oprah when it was when it was cheap right <laughs> exactly so so yeah so whatever you do out there you know what do do just or do it on your own they have online so there's so many resources that are free that we could kind of hop on have you done anything like that any like weight situations Mm-mm, no no that you've committed have you had like fasts or no carb months or weeks. I have or- done no carb stuff in the past pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Are, yeah. you, are you brushing off the Weight Watchers manual now that you're have added you know the COVID weight? I've I've added some COVID weight, so I I, I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm hoping this helps. I'm hoping your listeners will give me some advice. <laughs> um, so I need a used uh, a spin bike. I need someone to tell me where I can run for three or four miles without any hills. I need someone to recommend an exercise. I like group fitness. That's my problem. I like people, right? So, but now is not the time to do stuff with people unless you do it safely, right? So I need some help out there. Yeah, I don't know what the, there's a whole, you know, this whole CrossFit culture and I don't know how people are managing right now without their without their CrossFit studios the whole and some, cult. And, and some are opening I know some are opening and some are figuring it out I was up by the Beltline the other day by Ponce Market and I saw a place that had some outdoor like situation people were in the parking lot I'm like oh that that looks like fun I gotta find something to move I gotta move this 45 year old body somehow Right. <laughs> so uh, you're uh, turning to some more serious things. When you were in Orlando, you were there and you often talk about being there uh, and working uh, in 2016 when the Pulse massacre happened and in uh, covering that when a, a gunman killed 49 people and wounded 53 others at the gay nightclub. What, what was it like covering that as a journalist and, and what was the impact on you as a, as a gay man? The story itself was tragic. The story itself had so many layers and we were working on it for days and days and weeks and weeks after finding out more information. That was the story itself. And then you have the emotional part of it. And then you, you know, see the images and you go to work and you're, you know, wall to wall coverage again. And, you know, my news director, I think it was him or someone came up to me and said, hey, like, how are you doing in the middle of all those hours of coverage? And I was like, what do you mean? How am I doing? They're like, what do you mean? What do I mean? You know, like that's a, a, a gay nightclub, gay friendly nightclub, gay nightclub. Obviously, you're a gay man. You've been there. And this this person allegedly, you know, attacked the community, some would argue, on purpose as opposed to just a random thing. Either way, it's horrible. You know, it's clearly it was targeted to, to your community. And I was like, oh. Yeah, you know, you, you you put it away, right? You put your emotions in the back of your, in you know, whatever quadrant of your brain you're not using, and then you just focus on the work. But we have to feel, and, and viewers and listeners want you to feel. You know, they don't want you to have an opinion, which, of course, I have an opinion about everything, and I think, you know, I think, here's what I think, you need to, you need to know your biases, acknowledge them, accept them, learn them, so you can be completely unbiased when you're delivering the news or writing an article or doing a podcast. You know, I think that's important. We need to recognize our prejudices. We need to recognize our subjectivity. We need to recognize all these things that we have that we grew up in, A, to become better people, but B, more importantly, to know it's okay to have an opinion if I like green walls or blue walls, but when people are coming to my painting show, they don't want my opinion. They want me to talk about the blue wall benefits and the green wall benefits. I can't tell them I like green or blue. They don't want to hear that, but I have to know I like one or the other so I can make sure I am unbiased in delivering the details of the green wall and the blue wall. I don't know if that made any sense, but so, 
so covering Pulse was was very emotional at the end of the first night. I, you're like, wow, okay. That was the first club I went to, by the way, in Orlando. I wasn't out the first time I was in Orlando. I mean, I was out to my friends, but I wasn't like, you know, I was an out-out. Um, and it's amazing how far we've come in just 15 years. But I was an out-out, and then it was... You know, a week later, some political friends were putting three kids. This is a great story. Three kids, high school, college kids, you know, 20-something, wanted to put on a rally at Lake Eola. Lake Eola is like Orlando's Piedmont Park in Atlanta. Very central. People gather, festivals, all that stuff. And then one of the politicians said, hey, George, I, these three kids, I reached out to them because they put on Facebook. They want to do a rally. And it grew. Matt from like... Let's walk around the lake, right? It's not a very big lake. It's like a mile, 1.2 miles. Let's walk around the lake. A thousand people, 5,000 people showed up to the Facebook invite, 10,000 people, 20,000. And they sought help. And they're like, and then this politician guy, a friend of mine from Orlando, he's like, hey, do you mind, would you read the names? A lot of them are Spanish names. And obviously we think it would be represented, representative for you to read the names during the ceremony we're going to plan for next Sunday. Matt, eventually it grew to me hosting, helping to present it with my, uh, with my co-anchor, my, uh, morning anchor, I should say, Nancy Alvarez and the city and the mayor spoke and the other mayor spoke and the, this person spoke and, you know, and it was just, it grew into this 50,000 person candlelight vigil. And you're sitting there a week after this happens and people speak and the names are called out and the candles are lit. And I was quivering throughout the entire hour and a half presentation. CNN covered it, Fox covered it, MSNBC covered it, like nationally it was covered. And it was on a Sunday night and it was just like, wow. I am playing a, a small itty bitty role in this amazing moment for all of us to acknowledge the 49 lives lost, the 53 injured, acknowledge their families, acknowledge the hurt that we're only beginning to understand. You know, and it was such a moment uh, for me. I, I, I mean, it was, you know, when it was over, you know, you know how you do something and you're in it. And then when you're done, you just kind of sit down and it hits you. And this wave of emotion just hit me like the tears and the shakes. And it was like, OK, this just happened. And I was a, a small part of it and grateful to be a part of it. But I was still a part of something huge, you know, so. Right. Now, we, we, there was a there were several vigils here in Atlanta after that. And but one of the largest ones was at the Civil Rights Museum downtown. And it was thousands and thousands of people. And then for me, the experience was very much the same. Like you, you're sort of there covering it as a journalist. But then, the you know, the emotions catch up with you at some point. And you realize that you, you know, you also were there as a witness and took part in it. Yeah. So for you, you felt what did you did you have a moment, too, where you were like, OK, this just hit me. It's 2 a.m. I'm done. The vigil's over. I filed my story. I wrote my article and I'm just going to sit here and cry and be sad or be grateful. Like, what did you feel? Yeah, I mean, there was some of that during the event, but 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 for me, much of it was afterwards when you sort of are, are out of work mode and and have a the time to just sit and reflect and, and the, the emotions then catch up with you. Yeah, no, they have to. They absolutely have. And then what do you do? You get on social media and then you read the posts and you read people. And, and that was just a moment. I don't know what it, obviously for Orlando, what it did was rainbow flags were everywhere. The conversation, the doors were open on the conversation. You know, the fact that I was already out because I returned in 20. 2012. I left in 2006. I returned to Orlando in 2012. I was out. You know, I wasn't married yet, but I had my, you know, long-term relationship. And we were on stage um, with the Republican mayor of Orange County. 
and she was, you know, giving her address and all that stuff. And, and she had a journey with marriage and she said, I get it now, you know, like that helped her understand that love is love. And, you know, what you do is what you do. I shouldn't be judging you. You should be judging me. Like, you know, let's all figure this out. And we were on stage, Matt, and we had just finished that vigil that we just talked about. And I said to her, Teresa Jacobs, I wish her all the best every day. And we talk to this day. I said, Teresa, would you marry me? My husband and I were talking about marrying. We were going to marry that June on the beach, small ceremony. You know, he wanted to come to the beach. I was going to be there. It was going to be like three people. It was going to be like nothing just for us because he loves the beach. I love the beach. She goes, uh, honey. She's so cute. I love her. She goes, um, on stage. So everyone's like leaving the park. We just finished the thing. My emotions. I'm like, would you marry me? She goes, so here's, this is, this is weird, but you're a gay man and I'm already married and I could be your mother. And I was like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't mean actually marry me. I mean, marry me as in Enrique and I want to get married. Want you to have the ceremony, do the ceremony. She goes, what? She clutched her pearls and literally, because she had pictures of her pearls. And she, and she was like, oh, are you sure? Are you, this is not just you overwhelmed with emotion. I go, no, it's definitely me overwhelmed with emotion. But I also want to ask you, because you've expressed how your journey with, uh, with gay marriage has come a long way. And I want, I selfishly want to be a part of your journey and, and, and have you be a part of something so you can finish that journey and accept it. And she's like, I'll, I'm in. My husband and I will be there. So we did it. And it was wow. really crazy. We did it over, overlooking Lake Eola. In a, like a, one of those building club rooms that had a big balcony. We overlooked Lake Eola. I got permission to use the club room. And we did it. And it was like seven. There were nine people there, including a dear friend of mine, Dave Syrak, who did the audio visual. He also signed the notary. Teresa Jacobs, who did a speech. Her husband was there, the mayor. The county photographer donated his time. And he was there with his wife. They were another way. Everyone had double duty. They were witnesses. They were taking pictures. They were putting up lights. They were cutting the cake. Her, her chief of staff was there on her own time. She bought champagne glasses and cake. And we had cake. And I said to my husband, who I love a big party, right? My 40th birthday party. I, my 40th birthday party, I invited 350 people. Um, so you invited more people to your 40th birthday party than your wedding. By 340 of them, yes, because there were 10 people invited to my wedding. So um, we did that, and I and my husband's like, we're not going to, he's very super shy. He's like, we're not going to have a big thing. It's going to be us. And I said, you know what? That sounds perfect. So anyone listening out there who is like back and forth and like debating, you know, now's a time where people aren't having weddings, right? Or, and they're reducing the size or they're putting it off. My godson is going to be 30, or it was just crazy. He's postponing his wedding till 2021. And you know what? If you want to postpone it, great. If you just want to go ahead and get married with your significant other and make it a thing and have you and him or her and her or her and him or whatever it is, just do it. Because at the end, that's what matters. Have a party next year, you know, but get married. You know, don't, don't, don't put it off because you want what you think you want because take it from me as someone who wanted a big wedding it was my seven or nine I forget it was seven or nine my nine, my small wedding was absolutely perfect 
And so your your coming out journey has lots of twists and turns. And I was going to ask you about the, the, the marriage and you touched on that during your first news job in Orlando. As you mentioned, you were not out and eventually you eventually came out. But in that journey to coming out, I think it cost you a relationship with your father. Would you want to talk a little bit about your path to, to coming out? What that uh, like? Yeah, no, it's you know, everyone has we all have our stories. Right. And some some of our stories are better than others. And my story has some pitfalls, but it's still better than so many other stories out there as far as, you know, the love that I feel to this day. But yes, the headline is my father has disowned me. 14 years later, we still don't talk. I reached out to him first when I was leaving Orlando to go to Miami. And I said, you know, because I had family in Miami, right, man? I had cousins. I had, you know, I'm Cuban, Puerto Rican. So I have family in Miami because, you know, that's what you do. So I'm going down there and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to go down there. People are going to know me. I'm going to see my family. I'm in a committed relationship. That was my first partner. We were eight years in. That said, the jig is up. Like I, I have to stop running. Everyone listening could, 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 list, could understand where you do run from telling your family, right? And you do run from telling your friends in the beginning and you just take a job somewhere or you don't go to the family dinner with your significant other or you don't do this or do that. You're hiding, which is, is a reality for so many of us. I said, all right, the hiding's over. I told my dad we had a four-hour conversation. It was a horrible conversation. I tried to convince him that my life is fine, that I was good, that people don't, you know, that there's still hate in the world, but it's a different place now than it was. This was 2006 when I told him when I came out. It's a different place now than it was five years ago, thanks to Will and Grace. Just kidding. But <laughs> thanks to, you know. Um, so he couldn't, he just couldn't wrap his head around it. And at one point, he didn't understand what was happening. And he, he blamed himself. It was very typical. He blamed himself. Let's go to therapy. Let's fix you. I'm doing air quotes right now. And I said, Dad, I don't, I don't need fixing. Like, I'm a grown man. I'm 31 years old. I know what I want. This is my life. I've always been this way. I, I tried my best to do what I thought my family wanted me to do. I dated women. I did the whole thing. I love women. Women are beautiful people. Women are the strongest people in our society. You know, women are the backbone of how we get up every day and, and function as a world. And I love women. I just don't want to, you know, be married to them or, or date them or, you know. Right. But I love them. But some of my best friends are women, you know. So I said, Dad, I'm good. And he goes, no, you're not. And, and we hung up the phone. He's like, I was scared of my mother, right? Because my dad and I were best friends. We drank, you know, we drank together on weekends, even though my parents were divorced. Uh, my dad and I always hung out. Um, we smoked together. Yes, I smoked cigarettes for a very long portion of my life until 14 years ago when I quit cold turkey, June 23rd. And we did everything together. You know, every, he's my best friend. So I told him first and I'm, he's like, I'm going to tell your mother and then she's going to call you. So he told my mother. They were still friends. They're divorced, but they're, to this day, they're 81 and they're still like... They tell each other off, they're like brother and sister. It's the weirdest relationship on the planet, but they're the best of friends. So he told her and she called me and she goes, how could you do this to the family? It was, it got ugly. And then I kept calling my dad and like, hey, I just talked to mom, voicemail. Three days later, I talked to my dad and I talked all the time. Hey dad, it's been three days, how are you feeling? Hey dad, it's been a week, how are you feeling? Or voicemail, voicemail, voicemail. My mother calls me, she goes, your father would like to send you a message. I go, what? Please stop calling him as if nothing happened and stop calling him. I'm like, oh, I get it. He's angry. He needs a few months. 
Well, it's been 14 years. Father's Day cards. I sent him birthday cards. I sent him, you know, I hear you operate because, you know, we have cousins. So he's still I know what's happening to in his life. And everyone tried to talk to him and everyone tried to say this is we've always known Georgie. My family calls me Georgie. We've always known Georgie was gay. We were just waiting for him to tell us it's okay. Like, we're fine. I mean, things were said to me, Matt, like, how could you do this? Your cousins, meaning my generation, so my age, they're not going to let you around their children. I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Like, I have so much work to do. Like, I didn't know how far back I was, you know, with my family's thinking. Um, not my family, just my mother and father. Uh, and, you know, one aunt said to me, it was very sweet. She goes, I don't want this life for you, but I know it's better now than it was when I was a kid in, you know, Cuba 50 years ago, obviously. I don't want this life for you, but I know it's going to be better for you in this country. And I know you're going to figure it out. And I love you. And I don't care who you sleep with. She goes, we're going to figure this out. And I'm going to get your mother through this. And I'm going to get you through this. And we're going to get this together. Which is a great response, right? Because no old school person at 60 something, you're saying, you know, when they have that mentality, they don't want this life for us because they don't know the life. They think it's something, you know, horrible because that's what they're used to. That's what they were growing up around. So we almost have to allow people to have their own truths and help them come around, you know, and be patient. That's always been my philosophy. And how is it now with your mother? Um, So we talk every day. My mother is fine. She has not. So I'm sorry. I said I went down with my first partner. I did. A year later, we broke up. uh, And then I met someone else. And now we've been together for um, 13 years. And um, I'm a serial monogamist. And um, (laughs) I know. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. And and then when my mother has not met my now husband of four years, um, my mother doesn't. You know, she asks very little questions. She's this is how she's dealing with it. And it's unfortunate. You know, I I wanted I brought her down to Florida when I was in Miami to live with my aunts. I brought them all down, called my golden girls. They have their own little apartments, you know, the 55 and over building. And I, yeah, when I was in Orlando, I visited them every month and three days. All my vacation is to go visit them and to take them to, you know, Outback or take them to their favorite, you know, uh, McDonald's or whatever, like whatever they want to do. I take them to the mall. We shop around. Like they always want to buy me something. You know, it's so cute. Like, do you need a T-shirt? Do you need a new tie? I'm like, sure. I let them buy me a tie. I pick the one on sale and they buy it for me. It's very sweet. Um, and then um so, but no, it's been hard because she doesn't, she doesn't want to be a part of, of my life completely, but she's doing what she can. My father still has not talking, talked to me, um, but I have a great story in that when I left Orlando and I was coming to Orlando, I said, my father's 80, he was 81 or 80. And I said, all right, that's it. I opened a letter that he wrote to me 13 years prior at that point. I never opened it. After we stopped speaking, he wrote me a letter and my husband's like, all right, I'm like, I want to open it. I want to leave. I want to open his letter. I want to write him a letter. I want to leave Orlando. I want to leave Florida. I want to leave it. That's it. I'm done. He's going to die tomorrow or die in 10 years or whatever. I want to, I want to write him a letter and be done with these feelings. So my husband goes, well, you're going to open that letter in front of your therapist because I'm not going to be able to handle you. After you read that letter, I won't know what you're going to do. Right. You know, because who knows what the letter says. So I open it in front of my therapist and we blocked off two hours and my and I read the letter out loud in Spanish when I translated as I was reading it. And 
it was saying, you know, horrible things like you chose this and you chose to ruin the family and you chose this and you chose that. And I don't understand it. It was not one redeeming, excuse me, uh, quality in that letter. And my therapist was like, how do you feel? I go, this letter has nothing to do with me. This letter has to do with his own anger and his own feeling that he failed as a father and his own problems. And I'm like, I'm sadder for him now than I was 14 years ago when he left me. And then I wrote a letter in English. My mother-in-law translated because my, my husband's family is great. My mother-in-law translated it. And I said to my cousin, I go, I need my father to read this letter. I've never asked him to do anything in 14 years. I need him to read this letter. And you know what the letter was, Matt? And to everyone listening, you know what it was? It was thanking him for being a good father. It was thanking him for the sacrifices he made as an immigrant in this country. It was thanking him for the life that I have and the job and career that I have because of his sacrifices. How he taught me to be a good person, how he taught me to be a good man, how he taught me to be an individual that is compassionate and loves and is honest and truthful. And he taught me all these things. And I wanted to thank him for it. And I wanted him to dying knowing that I was grateful and that I don't judge him. And if he wants to walk into my life tomorrow, the door's open and we don't have to say one word about absolutely anything. And I did that. And my therapist, when I'm going back, you know, to read him the letter I was going to send to my father, he goes, wow. He's like, how did you do this? I go, I don't know how, but I'm in such a good place right now. And I think that's going to be the secret for my longevity when he passes that I'm okay. That was a really wow. long, that was a really no, long. That was, that was really, really interesting though. And, and, and your ability to, to put those thoughts down in, in a letter to him. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's important for everyone to have their own journey. Some people want to tell their, their parents off and never speak to them again. That's fine too. And some people have said, how could you talk to your mother every day? Like, She's my mother. Well, she's not a mean person. She, we have, we've had conversations and she physically just can't. And you have to accept people for their limitations. Right, right. You know, you don't have to, but you should, I think, especially right. if they're your parents. <laughs> right. Well, and so at WSB, how do you balance being, you know, your professional duties as a journalist with being the station's first out primetime anchor and, and how that makes you quite a visible symbol in Atlanta's LGBTQ community? You know what? It's crazy because you guys, you know, when the, when the press started happening, you know, a few articles here or there, um, it was, that was like, you know, it was almost like a headline-ish. And it would obviously be the headline with your publication because it's a big deal. I get it. But even in other publications, it's like, oh, first openly. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, no, I guess I am. I didn't think I was. And I know there were other people in the Atlanta market who were openly gay as well and were, you know, primetime anchors and presenters and journalists. And, but the fact that WSB had its first open, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, that's a big deal. Okay, you know, and then you guys did that great article and put me on the cover, and I was like, oh, so this is like an added responsibility, right? I think we have an added responsibility when we're the first of anything because you don't want to mess it up for the people behind you, you know? Right. But at the same time, it's just another, it's a, I'm the first Latina, right? Uh, you know, not the first Latina because we have Wendy Corona, but the first, you know, to have this role and the male Latino and the openly gay and the blah, 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 blah. Maybe I'm the first one with a size nine foot. I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, that play into the uniqueness of who we are, but it's a big responsibility. And I don't want to mess it up for the gay community, for the allies, and for people who just don't care. They're like, that's great. I'm like, okay, I don't care what happens when he closes his apartment door. I don't care who he loves. I just want him to be good at his job. 
So I think that I felt it as I came here and I felt it when people in the Georgia viewing audience, Matt would write me direct messages, emails, Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for coming. It's going to be great. I watch you now. I understand you. My son came out to me recently and having you in the position you are in makes conversations with him easier. And I now talk to him or now talk. It's been insane. The the reaction from people, I'm not saying every day or every week, but I get really sweet. I got and still get really sweet emails and messages from people saying, Hey, you don't suck. Thanks for being who you are. Appreciate it. I'm like, okay. And some say I do suck. And I'm like, okay, then sorry. How can I be better? That's the best part. When you get people who send you, send you like an email and like, well, I wish that you would not do this or do that, or maybe because of this and you're, and they're rip you apart. And I'm like, okay, dear Mr. Viewer, Thank you so much for sending your feedback. Viewers like you make us better. And it's the truth. I do mean it. it. And I lay it on really thick and they respond. They're mortified. A, that I would respond. B, that I would be so nice in responding. C, that I'd be like, tell me the feedback. Why do you think I'm a horrible person? I'd love to be better. They are floored. You know what? That's a viewer for life. Granted, it doesn't always work out that way, and they don't always respond, but the, the few times that I've gotten people who are like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of yours. I'm like, great, tell me why. <laughs> so it's been it's been interesting. Yeah, oh, that's nice. If you can get something positive out of that. Uh, my, my interactions with uh, fan mail like that usually don't go that well. So Ooh, tell me, what's, more, your, yeah, more power to what's your worst one or well, your I mean, most memorable one? I mean, I, I've stopped doing it now, but I used to engage critics more uh, on social media, and I just learned that's a, that's a no-win situation because uh, everybody on social media, when they post a comment, thinks they're right, and there's, there's uh, no other opinion to be heard uh, other than theirs. Right. No, there's that. And, and that's why I like engaging with them privately. I send right. them a private met. Like, I don't do it in, for public fodder because I I don't. I, I love people who do, and that's what they want to do, and, and that's great. I have posted, like, you know, sometimes I reply to them on Twitter so everyone can see, like, thank you so much. You know, please, I sent you a private message so we can talk about this offline. Like, I'll do that. Yeah, you're, so you're a braver man than me, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's Listen, you even know, worse. Twitter's oh, the worst of, of social media in terms of uh, interacting with, with people. I know, but I love people's opinions. And I think opinions make our country great and differences of opinions make our country great as long as they're not evil, right? As long as they're not filled with hate, as long as they're not filled with something that doesn't make a productive conversation. Then I'm all in. You want to talk about green walls or blue walls? Let's go. Like, let's make it happen, you know? So well, let's talk about books. Apparently there is a coffee table book in the works. Oh. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> uh, you know what? I It's funny. I wanted to, I was joking with you offline saying I want to do a coffee table picture book. But um, Oh, see, there you go. I thought, you, I thought it was serious. I thought you were doing a book about something. <laughs> no, I joked. I joked with Matt offline. I said, yo, we should do a book of, a coffee table book of my life uh, with all sorts of fun images. Oh, I just heard a dog. Yeah. Saved by the dog. But um, I'd love to write. I'd like to I'd love to write about, you know, expand on the experiences, you know, as, as an out journalist and expand the experiences as first generation, you know, and expand the experiences of, you know, me being Hispanic and in this country and Latino and, you know, coming out and growing up the ranks and, and 
being at the station and the experiences I'm yet to have. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a book with all of your, like, the best of your Instagram shots from all over, <laughs> all over Metro Atlanta. I, you had me sold. So Listen, you know what? Maybe I will do that. How about this? How about we co-author a coffee table picture book? And we'll do that. And you can like take that. all the photography. I like that. I can do that. Can you take, you take pictures, right? I do take pictures, yeah. Done. That's what we'll do. We'll partner and, and we'll like get the proceeds to like LGBT plus groups in town. I like that. <laughs> all right. So you co-anchor with Jovita Moore. I'm just I admit, freely admit that I'm a big fanboy, and she is well known for her appearances over the years at LGBTQ events. So really, what's what's the dish? What's it like working with her? She is so mean. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she is the sweetest. First of all, okay, her personality. So open to me, so welcoming to me, so sweet, so wonderful. I mean, helping me out professionally. Hey, it's Dacula. It's not Dacula. Be careful. You know, it's <laughs> Brazelton. It's, you know, all these, these like, you know, words. And if I, and I, you know, obviously I, I go over the lines, I help write them, I go copy them, but you know, you miss, you miss a sentence or two or something gets added in late for the newscaster. You don't get to it. So she'll be like, Hey, page 72, it's tequila. I'm like, thanks. Like she's, she's always looking out for me. And to this day is looking out for me. Uh, and to have a woman who has been here for 22 years and broken down her own barriers, right? Obviously a woman of color, Fought, you know, she, you know, the predecessor of Monica Pearson, uh, Kaufman Pearson depends on, you know, it's Pearson, you know, and to be such a strong voice for equality and a strong voice for everyone in Georgia to work alongside her. It's kind of a big deal, right? She's the queen. And I have no problem reminding her that every day. She's like, hey, what do you want to do? I'm like, whatever you want to do. Hey, what, what do you want? Whatever you want to go. Like, you're in charge here. Like, I am just along for the ride. <laughs> so we have a great working relationship. We have a personal relationship. Uh, we just texted. I'm on vacation right now talking to you, but she just texted me yesterday about, like, random things, this, that, the other thing. Like, she's like, hey, I want to take this day off. Do you mind? Or, like, we're just very, we're just, we're, we're and... I only suspect the pandemic put, you know, made it more challenging, right? For, for, for me to get along with people from work because no one's there. I mean, she's there, but I can't be, you know, really socializing with her because what if we both go somewhere and we both get sick and we're both together and that's a problem. Uh, obviously there are many more people at the station, but you know what I mean? Like I can't be socializing with Wendy Corona or Justin Farmer. I really shouldn't be socializing with, because you never know we have a responsibility first. I think that's how I look at it, but no, we FaceTime on weekends and we, you know, Kiki, we love a good Kiki. Phys, uh, like her physical, like being in her presence. She's stunning. She's gorgeous. She is, I mean, she's beautiful. And she walks in a room and you can like, you're like, wow, like there she is. You know, she's such a presence. So it's, it's lovely. And she's so pro LGBTQ plus. She's so, you know, we were supposed to do a, a bunch of events this year together. She's like, Hey, we're going to do this. And I'm going to rope you into this. And I'm going to rope you into that. I'm like, done. I, I will go whatever you need. She's wonderful. And she's such a professional and such a, like a hard worker. And she's like, Hey, this, this script isn't fair and balanced. This script is, you know, be careful. We need to be careful how we say this, how we say that. We need to, you know, make sure that we, you know, represent every one of our viewers. And she's great. I love her. She's fantastic. Well, my last question for you is where can people find you and follow you and find out more about the work that you're doing? So 5 and 11 on Channel 2, Action News, 5 and 11, they can catch me. We do a 10 o'clock 
OTT, over-the-top streaming uh, on our WSB Now app. So you can get your news at 10 if you need to go to bed early. It's a live show. And then, um, you know, on the whole, on the social media, you know, I, I think that we need to continue to throw some positivity out there. And, you know, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is J Estevez TV. J-E-S-T-E-V-E-Z-T-V. Uh, and you can find me all there and me and my dog and my adventures and post a picture of my husband every now and then uh, when I convince him and work stuff, work articles and, and stories too that hopefully will impact people's lives. You know, I typically stay away from posting things that will stir up controversy. And I think there's pl- plenty of platforms for that. I want people to come and see a little bit of my life and, and me ask about their lives. You know, every Sunday I, I post, show me your Sunday every Sunday morning. And it's like, this is what I'm doing on Sunday. What are you doing? And hundreds of people respond and they post pictures of what they're doing on Sunday. It's, it's so fun. It's so fun. I like it a lot. Well, George, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for your time. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Subscribe to Podcast Q to keep up with new episodes and follow us at theqatl.com. And we'll see you soon with a new episode. Bye, everybody.